Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Before I begin, I want to talk just for a second. This This is a special day for our church. Some of you may or may not be aware, this is the 46th anniversary of Rosemont Baptist Church. This church has been in existence now for well over four decades. And I, I want to just celebrate just for a minute. I know some of you have been here for a number of years and, and have been faithful to this church and the ministries of this church. If you've been here more than 40 years, would you either stand or lift up your hand, please? Some in the back, some in the back, right down front, up here. All right, if you've been here, y'all stand. Y'all can stand. I'm looking at y'all. Y'all can stand. How about more than 30 years? Go ahead and add to that number. More than 30 years? So the church is 46. All right, so more than 23 years. More than half of the existence of this church. Wow. Thank you guys so much. I say this often, but it's so true. We... we, Stand on what you built. And the foundation you guys poured all those years ago, we're walking on right now. And we've built upon it and we'll continue to build upon it by the grace of God. Father, we thank you for our time together of song and prayer, Lord. And as we move into the study of your word, Lord, I pray you'd be honored and glorified. Lord, I pray you'd just do a mighty work in our heart. You'd continue to work in this church. You'd continue to strengthen us. You'd continue to guide us, Father. I pray as we open the truth of your word today that you'd be honored and glorified. Father, through the prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would just do a mighty work in our lives and we'd be transformed more into your image. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning, and you don't have to turn with me, but I want to begin by reading in Matthew chapter 3. The account of Christ's baptism. Matthew chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is one who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. He ate food. His food was locusts and wild honey, and people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing them, he said, You brood of vipers, (laughs) who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water for repentance. That after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, 
And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now we want to think this morning in light of what we've been studying for the last several weeks again about worship. In fact, this is the seventh week in our study on worship. And we've defined worship up to this point like this. Worship is recognizing the greatness of God properly responding to Him. And so we've talked a lot about individual worship. We've talked about how we should worship. We've talked about the importance of preparing our hearts. We've talked about the importance of giving ourselves fully in worship. Last week we talked about the idea of experiencing true worship. But today in our study, we're going to make a break. We're going to make a change from thinking about individual worship and thinking about individually how we should come to Christ to more of a corporate focus. And so we're going to answer the question this morning, how should we understand worship as the body of Christ? Now, Wayne Grudem, who's a very noted theologian, said this, speaking about worship in the body of Christ. He said, because God is worthy of worship and seeks to be worshipped, everything in our worship services should be designed and carried out not to call attention to ourselves or to bring glory to ourselves, but to call attention to God and to cause people to think about Him. And so we ask ourselves the question, what sorts of things make us think about the Lord in worship? Well, certainly music is one of those things. We sing these incredible songs every Sunday morning that are based right on the Scripture. And as we sing these songs and we sing these Scripture verses, we're reminded of God and of His faithfulness and of His power and of His glory and of His greatness in our lives. We spend time in prayer, and as we spend time in prayer, we're reminded of the Lord, and we're reminded of His faithfulness to answer our cries when we call upon Him. As we study the Word of God, we're reminded of God. We think about Him, we think about His holiness, and how He still, through His Word and our context and our culture today, still speaks truth into our lives. But there's something additional. In addition to these things, there are two things prescribed by Christ that we should be doing in our worship services regularly as the body of Christ. Baptism is one. The Lord's Supper is the other. Now, we've been very fortunate over the years to have numbers of people come to know the Lord as their Savior. And it's a pretty regular occurrence for us, either in this service or the 11 o'clock service, or sometimes in both, to baptize people. It's an important part of our worship service. It's something we do on a regular basis to show what the Lord has done through salvation in these believers. The other is the Lord's Supper. We do that on a regular basis as well. In fact, next Sunday morning, I'll be preaching on the Lord's Supper. We'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper. So I want to invite you, if you weren't planning on be here, to be here and to be a part of that. But baptism and the Lord's Supper are things that we would call, in New Testament lingo and in church lingo, ordinances. Now, there are only two ordinances of the New Testament church. And I say this when I baptize every time. 
Baptism is one, as I said a second ago. The Lord's Supper is the other. Now, baptism was commanded by Christ. I read the account in Matthew chapter 3 of his example of baptism to begin his earthly ministry. But when Jesus ascends into heaven, it's kind of interesting. Jesus begins his earthly ministry by being baptized. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then he ends his earthly ministry as he ascends into heaven, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, with a great commission, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. What is he commanded to do? Baptizing them, right? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It's almost as if baptism is kind of the bookends for the ministry of Christ here on earth. Baptism was not only taught by Christ, it was taught by the apostles. Over and over and over again, you see examples of the apostles leading people to salvation in Jesus Christ, and then leading them to be baptized. So, for example... Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So baptism was commanded by Christ, it was taught by the apostles, and it was practiced in the early church. If you were to go and read accounts of the first century church, you can go back and read this little document called the Didache. And the Didache is the earliest known church manual. It explains how people should live their lives. It explains how worship should go based on the scripture. And it speaks extensively of baptism in the first century. It speaks about the need of baptism, how people are prepared for baptism, how people should come and, and, and worship the Lord during baptism. And so we understand that because Christ called us to do it, because the apostles taught about it, because it was followed in the first century church, it for us becomes very, very important. And so we're going to think this morning not only about baptism, but how we worship through baptism. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Now if you've ever spent any time reading through the book of Romans, you'll know that Paul gives us a lot of deep theology in Romans chapter 6. In fact, if you were to read through the first five or six chapters of Romans, you would understand that Paul has specifically called out our sinful nature. And he's explained to us in these first few chapters how deadly sin can be and how sin leads to death. And some of you are familiar with Romans 3, 23, 4. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Paul's going to kind of counteract the death of sin with the grace of God. And he's going to explain to us that even in our sinfulness, there is grace. And so we're going to begin in Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at the first four verses. We're going to focus this morning on verses 3 and 4. But coming out of discussion of sinfulness, coming out of discussion of God's grace in our lives, even in the midst of sinfulness, here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. Now he's speaking to believers here. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now baptism is a picture. It's a reminder of who Christ is and it's a reminder of what Christ has done and it's a reminder of all the things that he's given to us. And so there's some truths in this scripture that I want to pull out this morning to help you better understand, first of all, what baptism is, but to also help you understand how baptism ought to lead you to worship. Here's the first truth. This is going to be shocking to some of you. Baptism, very clearly in scripture, is number one, a reminder of death. Baptism 
reminds us of death. You say, well, that's kind of a harsh way to begin. <laughs> I thought when we, when we have a baptismal service, it's a moment of excitement for us. And it's a moment of joy for the people that are experiencing that. And it's a, certainly an incredible moment for the person that's being baptized. I thought we should celebrate that experience. We absolutely should. It is a moment of joy. And it is a moment of excitement. But baptism, we need to understand, points first of all to death. Now Paul gives us a clear indication in verse 3 of Romans 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into death? And so we know that Jesus came to the earth, he lived a sinless life, he died on the cross, he was buried, and then three days later he rose again. And so when we think about the idea of baptism... We understand that as we go under the water, it's a picture, it's a reminder of Christ's death and all he accomplished for us. Now, if you were to spend some time reading through Scripture, especially Old Testament, water plays a very interesting role. In fact, it's oftentimes seen as judgment and then eventually salvation. So, for example, the flood... You could read about the flood in the book of Genesis and, and how Noah and his family were saved. It's a picture of the Lord's salvation in the midst of judgment because through the water the whole earth was flooded and all the people on the earth because of their wickedness died. It's a picture of death. You may remember the story of the children of Israel and how they had left Pharaoh and his army and they'd wandered into the desert and they kind of found themselves up against the Red Sea and as Pharaoh's army approached, the Red Sea for them meant certain death. They couldn't go anywhere. They didn't have anything to do. And we know the story of the Lord parting the Red Sea and letting the children of Israel walk across. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But as the children of Israel walk across on dry land, Pharaoh and his army follow them. They get into the middle of the Red Sea and the Bible says that the Lord allowed the waters to come back upon them. They crash back over them and lead them to their demise and their destruction. It's a picture of God's judgment. Now for us, in our current context, we're reminded of all the scriptures that speak about the judgment of the Lord. But when we see baptism, when we see a person go under the waters of baptism, for us, it points very clearly to the death of sin in our lives. It's a reminder of where we've been. It's a reminder certainly of the mistakes that we've made, but it's a picture. We have now died to those sins. We have been buried and cleansed of all those sins because of what Christ has done for us. Now one scholar explained it like this. He says, for us, baptism points to a comforting and inspiring ceremony. But in the first century, to baptize evoked associations of violence. It meant immerse rather than dip. It was used, for example, of people being drowned or of ships being sunk. When it's applied to Christian initiation, we ought not to think in terms of gentleness and inspiration. It means death. Death to a whole way of life. It's this that's Paul's point here. Christians are people who have died and their baptism emphasizes that death. If we do not understand what it means to die in sin, we do not understand what baptism means. I mean, I had the opportunity with our family several years ago to travel to Indianapolis. She has a cousin that lives there and we got a chance to spend a week with him and just fellowship and reminisce a little bit. And while we were there, we traveled to some Amish Villages. Anybody ever been to see the Amish somewhere, maybe in Pennsylvania or Indiana, or some of you had seen, and maybe you hadn't seen it in person, you've seen pictures, or maybe you've seen accounts in movies, but to go into an Amish area is kind of a different experience for most people. So you go into an Amish 
area, and it's almost like you've gone back in time 200 years. So we go into this Amish village, and you go into these stores, and they, they make beautiful furniture, incredibly beautiful furniture. But you go in, and you're struck by the fact that there's no lights in the, in the room. And in the ones we walked in, they had gas-powered lanterns. That's how you could see inside these Amish furniture places. And you look around and you see the children and, and the men and the women are dressed very distinctly. And you see the men have the very distinct beards. And you look out on the road and you see the horse and buggy, right? And it's like you're back two or three hundred years. Now, I'm not old enough to remember. Probably most of you are not either. My grandmother was. I remember her telling stories about how horse and buggies used to kind of roam around the countryside. And anytime you needed to go somewhere, you got on your horse or you got in your buggy and you rode into town. That's a kind of an old school idea for us, right? It's, it's a way of life that no longer exists. We can read about it and we can study it and we can see pictures of it. But in our context, the horse and buggy is gone. It's an old way of life. It's nothing that affects us anymore. We can think about it, but we don't have anything to do with it as we move forward in our lives. It's kind of like that with baptism and with sin. Christ said you were an old sinful creature. You lived over here in a sinful life. You made mistakes. You did things you shouldn't have done. But because of Christ, we have moved through now because of Christ's death and what He's accomplished for us. We moved out of the old way of life, out of the sinful barriers that we found ourselves facing on a regular basis, out of the drudgery of the life that we used to live. Because of who Christ is, we've accepted Jesus Christ. And when we see baptism... We're reminded of the life that we used to live and how we are now dead to that life. We've been buried in Christ. And so what that means is all the old struggles in our life are no longer struggles. Now, I'm not saying that we don't still face consequences based on what we did. I'm not saying that we don't still have a sinful nature and still make mistakes. But I'm saying we're no longer bound. We're no longer in bondage to those sins. And so when we see someone being baptized, when we see someone going into the water, it ought to be symbolic not only of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but it ought to be a picture for us, a reminder of us, that they once lived a sinful life, but because of Christ they have been buried to that sinful life, and their sins have been washed away. It's first of all a picture of death. Now look at verses 3 and 4 again. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? There's the picture of the death again. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So here's the second truth. Not only is baptism a reminder of death, but number two, baptism is a promise of new life. Baptism is a promise for us of new life. The end of verse 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now we understand the symbolism of water. I talked about this a few minutes ago and how oftentimes it showed the judgment of the Lord and it revealed death oftentimes in the Old Testament. But we also see it pointing to life. I mentioned the children of Israel a few minutes ago. As they stood up against the Red Sea and they believed they were going to either drown in the sea or be killed by Pharaoh and his army, God made a way for them. And the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus that he parted the sea and the children of Israel walked across on dry land. And so through the waters of the Red Sea, the children of Israel were saved and were offered. Now just think about this. They had left Egypt and an old way of life. They go through the waters. They emerge out of the waters into a new life, right? into a new hope, into a new promise. It's interesting how the New Testament speaks of that encounter and that event. 1 Corinthians 
Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. It's a picture of the children of Israel. Now verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 10. They were, listen to the words here, they were all baptized, see that? Into Moses, into the cloud, and in the sea. It's a picture of the water as we walk through Going from the sinful life, going from the mistakes that we made, going from the old way that we lived, as we go through the water, we emerge and come up out of the water new, restored. It's a picture of the new life that Christ has offered to us. One scholar says it like this, baptism represents a complete break with one's past life. As the flood wiped away the old sinful world, so baptism pictures one break from his old sinful life and his entrance into a new life in Christ. It's as if we're given a second chance. It's as if we've been mired over here in the sinfulness and the mistakes of life and all the things that we've done to separate ourselves from God. And because of Christ, because of His mercy, because of what He's given us, He offers us a second chance and a new hope. I was doing some reading this week, and I was doing some research on second chances. I just started thinking about stories that you hear of people that had second chances in life. And I read about a man named Damon Thibodeau. In 1997, Damon Thibodeau was convicted of killing a 14-year-old girl in Louisiana. He was sentenced to death for his crime. Now, Damon spent 15 years on death row. Listen to this, 23 hours a day in solitary confinement. In the Louisiana State Penitentiary. After 15 years on death row, a DNA test found him innocent. Could you imagine? And he was released last September a free man. Here's what he said. I'm looking forward to life as a free man again. You see, Christ has given us that second chance. The Bible says that we've all gone astray, we've all lived in sin, we've all made mistakes, but because of who Christ is, because of his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, because he took the place of our sins, because he offered us salvation, we now have a second chance. And so as we see baptism, it's a picture not only of death, but it's a reminder of the hope of new life that we have in Christ. Some of you may have noticed out on our sign as you come in every Sunday morning or, or, or Wednesday nights. It says in very big letters, Rosemont Baptist Church, and then right up under it, it says, experience new life. Now that's a picture of Christ. It's a reminder that because of Jesus Christ, we can experience new life. It's a reminder that we don't have to be bound to the sinfulness we once lived. It's a reminder that the things that, that we struggled with are not things we need to struggle with anymore. Not to say we're not still going to have problems Not to say that when we accept Christ that everything's going to be brand new and fresh and everything's going to be nice and neat and clean in our lives. There are still messes we have to deal with. But the point is, because of Christ, we have freedom for those things. Because of who He is, we can experience new life. In fact, we say that when we baptize, buried in the likeness of His death, raised to experience new life, right? It's a different life for you. It's a different day for you. It's time for you to begin to move forward in the life of Christ and to put to death the things of the past, the sinful nature, and the things that separated you so oftentimes for God. Now let's continue to move on, verses 3 and 4. It's a picture of death. It's a reminder of the hope we have in new life. And now look at verses 3 and 4 again. Notice how often Jesus is referred to in these two verses. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ 
were baptized into His death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Not only is baptism a picture of death, a reminder of where we've been, not only is it the hope in the new life that we can now lead, but number three, baptism is a picture of our union with Christ. Baptism is a picture of our union with Christ. Now some of you may be thinking, this is great. This is great. I'm I'm hearing this and I'm seeing what Christ did and I'm understanding, Adam, from what you're saying, that baptism is necessary for salvation. In other words, if I want to be saved, all I need to do is be baptized. That's not what the Scriptures teach. I want to be clear about this because there is some confusion sometimes. Baptism will not save you. You are saved very clearly in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because of what He's accomplished. So we see, for example, Scriptures that explain this to us. Romans 5.1, Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No mention of baptism there. Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's no mention of baptism there. We are saved very simply through our faith because of the grace that the Lord has provided for us. One of the best examples of this if you've ever read through the book of Luke, you'll remember, and actually the other Gospels as well, you'll remember the story of the thief on the cross. Jesus is being crucified and he's surrounded by two other robbers, apparently, people that have broken the law and have been, have been executed or are being executed as well. And one thief is kind of making fun of Christ. The other is kind of defending him. And right before he dies, one thief says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered in Luke 23, 43, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's a picture here of salvation without baptism. So we say, if we're going to understand truthfully and doctrinally what the Word of God teaches, baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary if we're to be obedient to Christ. Because Christ Himself was baptized, and He commands all those who have repented to be baptized as well. You may remember the story of Jesus Jesus lived for 30 years in obscurity. It's this very interesting, sometimes confusing thing when you think about the life of Christ. Jesus was born. We we hear all about his birth. We hear all about what the Lord did and the manger and the angels. And, of course, coming up on Christmas, we'll talk a lot about that in the coming weeks. But once Jesus is born, you hear basically one thing about him. He went to the temple when he was 12, and that's it. For 30 years, he lives in obscurity. He lives in silence, preparing Getting ready for what the Lord had for him. So the first public act we see of Jesus Christ is his baptism. I read it in Matthew 3 a few minutes ago. Jesus comes out of Galilee to the Jordan. He finds John the Baptist and he says to John the Baptist, I want you to baptize me. Now here's the problem we have as we study that account. John was baptizing people that needed to repent for their sins. In fact, John had said that over and over. Repent and be baptized. Recognize your mistakes. Come and be baptized to be cleansed of your sins. That's what John was Teaching, He was teaching baptism based on repentance. But here's the problem as we think through that. Jesus had never sinned. In fact, if we were to study Scripture, Hebrews 4.15, speaking of Christ, says this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So we see that Jesus is sinless, yet he comes to John the Baptist who was preaching repentance and baptism, and Jesus asked John to baptize him. And we think, Jesus doesn't need to be baptized by John, right? 
Because he's not committed any sin. It's the same thing that John says. In fact, you read in Matthew 3, 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But listen to this. John tried to deter him, right? Saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? Jesus, you're you're sinless. You're, You're the Lamb of God. You've come to bear the sins of the world. You don't need me to baptize you. You need to baptize me. You're sinless. And so we ask ourselves the question, why would Jesus be baptized? Why would it be so important for Jesus to walk into the wilderness to begin his public ministry with baptism? It's very simple because Jesus wanted to be our example. He wanted to be among us. And he wanted to recognize, he wanted us to recognize that he'd come to save those who were lost. He wanted to come and take our place. He wanted to come and be an example to us. And he wanted to live among the people, even though he was sinless, he wanted to live among the people that were sinful and separated from God. You may remember Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 foretells the coming Messiah and it talks about who he's going to be and what the Lord's going to do through him. And Isaiah 53, 12, speaking of Christ, says this, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. You see that? Now we know he was numbered with the transgressors in his death because he was surrounded by other criminals. But he was also numbered with the transgressors as he came to be baptized. As he came to set an example. As he came to show us the importance of being baptized and the importance of our union with him. One scholar described it like this. Christ's death alone is the ground of our justification. And when we make that our own by faith, we are united with Christ. United with him in his death. United with him in his burial. United with him in his rising again. United with him in life. We see scriptures over and over about how we're united with him on so many different levels. Galatians 2 talks about we're crucified with Christ. 2 Timothy 2.11 says that we've died with him and we live with him. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says we're made alive with him. Romans 8, 17 says we are co-heirs with Christ. On and on the scriptures go that speak about our union with Christ because of what he's done, because of the gift of salvation that he's offered. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we come into union with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. And baptism is simply a picture of that. It reminds us of who he is. It reminds us of what he's accomplished. It reminds us of our union with him. Many of you guys have children or have grandchildren, you'll, you'll understand the illustration here. I think about the bond that we form with our children. I think about what we do for them and how we give to them and how much we love them and all the things that we want to accomplish with them and how we want to teach them and train them and all the things that go with parenthood. But I think about when our children are very young, the bond that we form is based on what we do for our child, not for what they do for us, right? I mean, a little infant can't do anything to really bond with a parent other than just look really cute, right? He can't respond, he can't react, he can't do anything. He's totally helpless. But because of our love for him, we form this bond and we're there for him and we love him and we guide him or her and we, we direct our child and we, we nurture them. And we form this bond with him that lasts for a lifetime. It's kind of like that with Christ. Christ takes the initiative for us. We're helpless in our sinfulness. We're dead in our sinful life. We can't do anything on our own outside of Christ, but Christ, because of his love, Because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of all that he's given to us, he offers us salvation. And when he does that, and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we come into union with him. This bond is formed that can never be broken. It's a bond that 
shown through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a bond that we understand in our lives and all the scriptures we just read. But baptism is a picture of that. It's a public picture of our salvation. It's a picture of our death. It's a picture of our burial. It's a picture of our resurrection in Christ. It's a reminder very clearly that we used to live this way in the sinful nature. We used to live in death, and now because of Christ, we've been buried with him. We've been raised again. We can now experience new life. And when we think about baptism like that, it becomes so much more than just a ceremony we perform on a regular basis at church. It ought to lead us to worship, shouldn't it? Every time we see somebody baptized, it ought to, first of all, remind us of our sinfulness and our mistakes and what the Lord has done in our lives. But it ought to lead us to rejoice for that person. And rejoice that the Lord still works. And rejoice that the Lord still offers salvation to all who would believe. And we think about baptism like that and we understand all that Christ has accomplished. It ought to lead us to understand the truth of the gospel and the truth of our sinfulness and the truth of repentance and the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ. And when we see baptism and we see someone go under that water and be brought back up, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to experience new life, it ought to remind us of what Christ has done in our life. It ought to remind us of what Christ is doing in that person's life. And it ought to lead us to worship every time we experience it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word, Father, for the clarity of your word, for the, the teaching of baptism, Lord, and how it is a reminder and a picture of all you've done for us, of all you've given to us, Father, of our sinful life and and the mistakes that we've made, Father. But because of you, those things are dead to us. Father, because of your sacrifice on the cross, we've been cleansed of those sins. And we have the hope now of a new life because of our union in you. I pray, Lord, that would lead us to worship. I pray that would lead us to focus more on you and, and to rejoice even more when someone is baptized. And I pray, Father, you would continue to, to do a work in our hearts every time we experience that, to be reminded of your power and your majesty and your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. If you want to come and, and pray at the altar, you can. If you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you want to join the church, this is your time now as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.